0: Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards that, like, some
1: greater purpose? with bloated We are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip.
2: And we're back on extended clip. Malcolm in the middle, everyone's favorite segment. Malcolm, you watch anything in particular this week? I did watch
0: something but here's something I watched in particular
1: <laughs> yeah I don't know why I phrased it <laughs> like that. well
0: I, it was the perfect phrasing because I have a, a movie I particularly watched um, <laughs> it's this movie called Star Time it's a uh, it's a slasher from the 90s and it's kind of a like a riff on Videodrome it's someone who uh, it's like video if you took Videodrome and Joker and you put them in a goddamn blender and you wanted to put that down your goal you might get s- Star Time and um it's about this, this lonely man who's obsessed with this TV show, The Robinsons, and once, once it's canceled, he wants to kill himself. And um, a man who announces the lotto numbers on TV appears to him right before he, he's gonna kill himself. He's like, no, we're gonna make you a star. Like, you know, uh, you have potential, but you know, you gotta go and kill some people for me. He's like, okay, it's like this is what I have to do, I'll do it. And there's like a social worker is the, who's the only person that talks to him she gets involved with it it's not it's not exactly the smartest material but it's i was impressed by like the way it was shot it was a very well shot movie more than like you would expect from fair like this almost getting like some sai ming lang vibes and it's like the way it depict lonely apartment living and like the barrenness and like these like um kind of warped frames of just apartment living these kind of like weird high angle shots of uh lonely men it was just uh it was just really entertaining and shot well and it was on Tubi, the you know my favorite streaming service. So I, I got every time an ad came on, I would just check my phone for a little bit.
1: Yeah, Tubi's nice. It's like yeah. there's a built-in piss break. You exactly. don't know when, but uh, it's coming.
0: I think I think streaming services with ads are better than the ones without them because it's like I you know I miss ads now because I don't want to. I'm I'm someone I don't mean to brag, but I don't look at my phone when I watch a movie. I fucking watch that shit. But if it's a commercial on. Maybe I could, you know, do a little bit of that.
1: I just want to feel the return to normalcy after exactly. we've defeated COVID. I like to Applebee's to tell me, "Welcome back, yeah. and that everything's fine again. If what I are you,
2: uh, what are you uh, what are you uh, what are you looking at on your phone during those movies <laughs> during those commercial breaks? Just like
0: Twitter or like Instagram, right. my messages, right. What's, I don't, Twitter, I mean, Pornhub, RedTube. Yeah. The implication that I'm watching porn on my phone in between—that doesn't even make sense. That's not
2: what I was implying. That was JT's absurd chiming <laughs> in.
0: Um, I, if I had a time machine, I'd go back to 2005, though, for sure.
2: If I had a time machine, I'd go back to 30 seconds ago and tell you not to reveal that you were looking at. It. Never mind.
1: Couldn't land it. Next yeah, time, champ. Quite.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Almost. JT, what about you?
1: Um, I am going to reveal my ass here a little bit. Not literally, of course. We already shot
2: the video (laughs) for the Patreon.
1: (laughs) Um, But I recently... I mean, I want to try to dive deeper uh, into Indian cinema. I mean, I know that's like a very big, broad term. Mm -hmm. I mean, if anyone has any recommendations of directors or particular flicks, please hop in my DMs. I would greatly appreciate it. But... We were talking about streaming services, and there's one here that doesn't have ads. You might have heard of it. It's called Netflix. Well, I respect that one. That's the king. (laughs) So (laughs) it's the king. And uh, um, on it, uh, Om Shanty Om is streaming. I'd heard a lot of things about it. I was excited um, that it was like a big, like elaborate production, like about movies. The basic plot is that it's about um like an actor in the 70s who's like a junior artist, like an extra and like the background of movies and he falls in love with like a big star um, at the time. Uh, but then he dies uh, him and his love like together like she's in like she's uh, secretly married to another man and like is pregnant and he's like a producer and uh, she's a big star and uh, he wants to keep that under wraps. Um, but he, our hero dies trying to save her mm-hmm. and then he's reincarnated 30 years later as a just fucking pimp ass big name star, <laughs> That's what's um, who's like afraid of fire because he has that memory of like dying in a fire and he slowly sort of has those memories and is trying to like avenge the death. of of a love of his past life. And it just fucking goes so hard. Like all the musical sequence r- sequences rule. Like he goes from this, like kind of schlubby clumsy actor, uh, in the '70s, to just fucking ripped. He has like abs. He's uh doing like this great dance number uh with just busted women, <laughs> and it's so like that contrast. <laughs> nice, Wait, busty or busted? <laughs> like, like the, their titties are large. Okay, that's busty. Oh. Busted. Busted means play. ugly. Some ugly ass <laughs> I've I've heard it as busted as in their busts I feel are like large. I've
2: only heard busted in a very, very derogatory sense. Alright, well they're busty. The point is their tits are the huge. I know JT is a very sex positive man who has nothing but admiration for the female form.
1: Um <laughs> but yeah, no. It's just that change in and of itself, like his character is like very different in that respect, is very funny. Um, yeah, I was just completely blown away. It's such a good time. It's one of those movies. I mean, this is a really hokey cinephile thing to, to latch on to, but a movie about movies that's really good um, in that respect. And uh, I it's a beautiful romance, too. I would recommend checking it out if you haven't
2: yeah that one's been on the watch list for a while uh, I also definitely need to take the plunge in general so that's going to be one that I check out it's, for sure
1: it's like almost three hours but it goes by so quickly and I got just, nothing but time these days the The <laughs> way it divides up um, like the first life in the 70s to like the present day which is like 2007 at the time <laughs> Uh, is really it's like you're watching two movies for the price of one it's like boogie nights plus another movie right because it's set in the 70s yeah (laughs) sure. yeah what about you eddie have you watched anything this week
2: yeah, I remembered a couple of classics. I rewatched Samuel Fuller's 40 Guns from 1957, his black and white CinemaScope Western, in which Barbara Stanwyck plays a high riding woman with a whip, uh, as noted in the song about her. Uh, so lovely. You know, that song, the first time it's sung, that cowboy sings it and he walks by the guy playing guitar. And I was reminded of uh, there's something about Mary and Jonathan <laughs> Richmond. Uh, I but, miss the Fairleys. Yeah, I yeah. Already miss my boys, <laughs> uh, but this is a film uh, that is just so overwhelming with images and like sensations. You know, there's a sandstorm in here. That is just like one of the most beautiful things. I mean, the high contrast black and white in cinema scope. I'm not the first to point it out, but it's just every frame is really overwhelming. You know, Samuel Fuller is really dedicated uh, to maximizing the potential of this format and also telling a very gritty uh, and like hard nosed but emotional story like he's so great at doing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't need me to tell you 40 Guns is a great movie. Everyone knows that.
0: That'd be 40 Bullets on our scale. Have you guys seen it? Actually, I haven't, and I'm a big Fuller fan, so I am I need to get a nice 1080 rip of that because... Oh, I got you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Cause every- oh,
2: yeah, I, I, I say you got to get a nice rip of this one because, like, that, uh, the darkness is exactly. going to get totally compressed. If you stream it on Criterion Channel, good chance that darkness is going to get super super just like pixelated and mm-hmm. garbage no i've yeah. start
0: i've started this before and then like i've been like yeah i need a better file for this because i'm getting the, the crunchy blacks and I'm i got not, you
1: bring bring the hard drive next time <laughs> yeah no i've seen it and it rules um i like i don't know sam fuller and nick ray and like a similar milieu for me where it's just like cool directors that were by yeah like it's <laughs> that that over that feeling washes through i think there are a lot I of mean, like bathhouses on yes, the tail end yes, of that, that song in
2: 40 guns is just wonderful it's just dudes having a bath
0: <laughs> <laughs> damn i think people who are secretly bi might be the best filmmakers <laughs> i mean you can be openly bi maybe of course, pretty good but just because maybe pretty good <laughs> <laughs> you can get them, but not you know not the secretly bi this is i i don't know what i'm saying Yeah, i don't here. want to be one of those like yeah buy
2: twitter filmmaker uh, uh, on twitter where it's like uh by filmmakers use this kind of lighting and these yeah. plot devices but secret buy filmmakers yeah, use yeah, yeah. these
1: types of lighting <laughs>
0: framing and devices
2: and men drive like this uh, <laughs>
0: men and women they're so different that's what i'm learning by going on twitter nowadays it's like men be like this but then you know
2: but speaking of that a twitter phenomenon the gun girl is well represented in 40 guns not just stanwick but you know at the gun store the local gunsmith where they uh, handcraft these rifles for each person's measurements and you know you get a uh, a manic pixie gun girl as it were <laughs> uh, for the 50s at least uh, and it's uh, it's a really wonderful per- performances across the board there uh, but of course Stanwyck really like holding it down in the center what a great match for Sam Fuller we'll be right back to talk about our B picture uh, Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones
1: <laughs> Eye. what do you know (laughs) maybe you could help with some deadbeats who owe me a lot of money my mother
0: and we're back back on (laughs) extended no (laughs) Um, like the fine bros made a remix (laughs) whatever Whatever. (laughs) and we're back on
2: extended clip after a tumultuous first half
0: maybe yeah
1: what
2: no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was crazy it was what crazy. we talked about for embrace of love <laughs> so episode
2: sen- two attack of the clones 2002 directed by george lucas the first major blockbuster to be shot on digital it was shot on the sony HDWF 900 you know what else was shot on that camera that very camera uh <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola's final trilogy of Tetro, Twixt, and Youth Without Youth, Uh, Steven Soderbergh's Bubble, Uh, the film all about Lily Shushu, which is great, Collateral by Michael Mann, Portions of Ali by Michael Mann.
0: This camera's got a great track record. A Prairie Home
2: Companion by Robert Altman.
0: I'm soy-facing right now. (laughs) <laughs>
2: rules of engagement the tv show <laughs> a lot of tv shows also use this camera uh including the first season of the office i guess uh but yeah uh it's a landmark for early digital and uh different cinematographers and directors got very different things out of it to say the least
0: no yeah i think lucas is using it to full effect here i mean he's he's really exploring what he could do with digital technology yeah i mean that's an obvious appeal of this movie kind of in not in retrospect cuz i'm sure smart people at the time noticed it but like the, the you know when people are bringing up uh prequels uh reclaiming that's you know that's a big part of it i mean it i mean the landscapes here that and like the color tones that uh lucas is, is getting is just it's downright beautiful in some parts oh no i mean the
2: scene where uh anakin is back on tatooine and he finds out uh what his mother's fate was you know he wants to go find her and he hops on that you know sick hog and rides across that red sun Mm -hmm. that red sky with the two suns. it's just one of my favorite shots in
0: all of star wars or
2: all of cinema
0: really (laughs) that was definitely my favorite sequence of the film i mean it's a it's a great film but like that sequence in particular once uh he rides over there finds out what's going on and you know what he does and not not to steal this because i know we're all thinking this but that iris cut out, out of the scene is just oh my god just amazing. amazing
1: it's probably the most sympathetic one could feel during a genocide like <laughs>
0: yeah
2: it's like i i mean because it's like it's a i mean those tuscan raiders are bad dudes yeah <laughs> what were they doing there like remember you know, when they shot at him during the pod race in episode one <laughs> <laughs> that's that's called establishing the story <laughs> <laughs> episode one available on the patreon Check it out. That was a great way to kill a conversation. (laughs) I thought we could just move right past it. But no,
1: I think like, I mean, episode uh, two in general, the Anakin storyline of watching him, like his descent into uh, the dark side, if you will. I think this time around, because as a kid, I don't know, Attack of the Clones, I feel like if you you like Star Wars even as a kid, but you're like, oh, the prequels are the, the bad ones, I feel like Attack of the Clones generally gets labeled as the worst because it's like boring. Yeah. But I think it's filled with a lot of really compelling stuff where it shows the contradictions. In like the way the Jedi are training like Anakin to sort of like suppress emotion and how like growing up in like I, in poverty and sort of being pushed into it um, really clashes with that and how it sort of pushes him uh to the dark side and how he's like, I don't know. You feel a lot for him. Like this is a very yeah. intense, like emotional flick. I mean, so the basic setup here is that after a, uh, attempted
2: attack on the life of uh, Padme, former queen of Naboo, now uh, galactic senator, Amidala, uh, moving into a more global territory as we, on Extended Clip, are global cinephiles. Not globalist cinephiles. <laughs> I think this movie is a cornerstone of that philosophy. Absolutely. We'll, we'll get into the politics as we go. Uh, but, you know, the, the political thread of this... Uh, trilogy is very like deeply woven into like the character arcs you know their emotional arcs as well as like the politics of this whole world that lucas has created and so it opens on an attempted assassination of her and so the uh the the duo at the helm here of uh, young Anakin Skywalker uh, about ten years after the events of the first film as a uh, as an adolescent uh, an angsty teen, <laughs> a rebel with a cause if you will. yeah yeah and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, training him are split as obi-Wan goes to investigate the attempted terrorist attack and uh, <laughs> Anakin is sent to safeguard the senator, but eventually they go on a mission. Of their own back to his home planet of tatooine
0: yeah i mean i think when you you said in the when we talked about the first uh star wars that you know the jedis are cops and it's very felt in this one where it's like literally it's, you start with a high-speed buddy cop chase with you know anakin mm-hmm. and uh obi-wan i'm still getting used to the character names it's, it's gonna okay. be a hump look um,
2: newcomers are welcome here we've always said fuck
0: lore on extended <laughs> yeah. clips so if anything is wrong that we say about star wars i don't fucking care that's true that's true and then then Ewan McGregor, see, I can't. I, um, he he goes off, and then he kind of has like his own like Columbo detective, you know. Almost it's almost structured like um, in parts like a like a police procedural show. Then yeah. you have the subplot of like the romance that uh, Anakin is experiencing, which yeah. is I agree is very well done, and I love the angsty aspect of it, just because he's just he's a young he's a young hustler on the come up, and people are trying to get him down. He feels yeah. like he has so much potential. But, you know, people are in his way. He wants to be the best. I mean, the film, for the
2: most part, for about, you know, it's uh, about two hours, 20 minutes. I would say about an hour and 10 minutes of this is cutting back and forth between, uh, you know... Obi-Wan on his little detective mission where his uh, search for a bounty hunter uncovers, you know, the clone army that will be used in the Clone Wars. And meanwhile, Anakin is, you know, resisting temptation with falling in love with uh, the woman he's being paid to, or not paid to, but... Part of his duty is to protect, Uh, and then, of course, his very uh, heavy, melodramatic return home, uh, finding the fate of his mother, and then it all kind of comes together wonderfully in the third act, just like, uh, you know, not actually kind of an inverse of how Phantom Menace was structured, as Phantom Menace is building up to the third act being cut across multiple planes, you know, how we talked about that on the Patreon episode, how there's like four Planes of action that it's cutting across. This one, the third act, brings all the characters together who were apart for the first, you know, two hours almost.
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah, like it, it goes into that big war sequence, and that's what I was impressed with too. Something I was impressed with the first one, like how long you would like the pod racing sequence was allowed to be. But even like something like the opening chase is so long, but I feel like it lives up to its like full potential, where it's like I don't know maybe a lesser filmmaker would try to reduce the length of this movie, but I think it's perfectly long. Yeah.
1: I mean, right from the get go, like the stunts that happen, like Obi-Wan just like fucking, uh, (laughs) jumps out, uh, and like latches on, uh, to the, uh, the, the little droid that mm-hmm. causes the uh, the worms that are coming for Padme, the bugs. Yeah.
2: And I love how right before that, you see their reluctance. You know, they're already upset with their job protecting mm-hmm. this woman. You know, Anakin obviously is very infatuated with her. He's thought about her every day since he was a little child. <laughs> uh, but Obi Wan is very over it already, like a cop who's disinterested in his current work. And uh, what does he say? He's you know trying to tell Anakin not to simp for her. He's like.
1: And don't forget, she's a politician and they're not to be trusted.
2: (laughs) Uh, uh, And one of my favorite lines is right after that when Anakin says oh Obi-Wan not another lecture especially not on the economics of politics <laughs> <laughs> the, ec- the
0: economics
1: of politics <laughs> I mean it's like that's part of the I think relatable stuff that like pe- people really don't jive with yeah. about this mm-hmm. film is that like Anakin for a lot of it is just like an angsty teen mm-hmm. yeah. and like especially like the point where it's like he's joking about fascism with Padme yeah. it's like a young boy flirting with libertarianism it's like he's mm-hmm. misguided and wrong.
0: Sounds an awful lot like a dictatorship to me. Well,
1: if it works. If Padme was more a sexy Ilan Omar type, she could have led him in a better path. (laughs) No,
0: I I think that's what's great. A big part of what I like about this movie is that it's using this huge, you know, expensive world with expansive characters and different worlds in which have different landscapes and it's using that as a backdrop for a romance like very heavily where it heavily invests in the melodrama not only you know in the script where it's talking about i think he says like now that i'm with you i'm in agony i'm haunted by the kiss that we once shared if i can't have you you know almost going straight you know shakespearean yeah. but also the you know these digital landscapes reflect kind of the melodramatic um feelings that are being exchanged here and it's just it's a great pairing and it's you know Lucas is great with the digital technology, and I think he had a great handle on it right from the jump.
2: Yeah, I mean, rather than digital textures interacting with 35 millimeter in episode one, this one is just full-blown digital CG everything um they're they're very open about it too you know the dvd uh supplement documentaries are on youtube and those behind the scenes documentaries are amazing watching them make this movie but that opening chase though yeah he's right away establishing the freedom that he has with the camera in these digital landscapes he can just go into multiple axes, uh like of direction for this car chase he can instead of just going Uh, forward back left and right you can just dip up and down too because it's this floating you know flying car highway (laughs) so it's just like all axes of direction are capable and his camera is so attentive and the framing is so perfect because they can perfect it Mm. rather than having to chance it like so much great action cinema with practical effects and uh, celluloid you know film had to do in the past it's just a whole new way to make action cinema
0: Mm. and I think it's really like filling its potential in, like, other facets of, like, maybe, like, how it establishes the setting even better, too, than, let's say, the first one. And the first one has great production design, and that's something, you know, you notice with these movies because there's a lot of it. Um, But, like, this is better in a different way where it's, like, it feels so expansive, and I get, like, a real... Uh, sense of area around all the different settings that these characters travel to. And yeah. that's another thing I like about these movies, all the different, you know, little worlds and, you know, places it, that they the travel 50s to. The fifties diner. I mean, of <laughs> oh, George hell Lucas yes. had to throw that in
2: there with Dex, uh, I love how also they, they go to a bar before that. When they're in the club, it's so sick. You get a POV shot of, like, Anakin, like, Copacabana Goodfellas style, like him rolling through the club. Uh, and that club has, like, uh, pod racing and droid football on the TV yeah. and, like, a guy trying to sell him, sell him some death sticks. And it's an it's a awesome environment. The 50s diner is dumb, but that's, like, the first scene of Obi-Wan on his detective story. And, like, that two-shot of him with Dex, that fucking disgusting four-armed creature who runs the establishment uh, sitting at the booth together you know that low angle and kind of dark lighting it immediately keys you into like the genre background of this and uh yeah Lucas is a fucking god he, he can't be stopped <laughs> in this film like he's pulling off so many stylistic maneuvers that I didn't think he had in him and he's clearly like exploring you know what he can do with these digital textures uh, uh, as opposed to episode three where I think he's more perfecting it,
0: you know? No, I I think with the di- like to speak on the digitalness of this and how it affects cinematography, when it is going for like these these darker sequences, the way like digital technology or how they were just using it at the time to capture like these deep darkness, like uh dark tones that like I think just shadows kind of hit differently yeah. under like a you know a digital camera and seeing him work with that and well, a lot co- of those shadows are yeah.
2: completely artificial yeah you put exactly it in post as well yeah. yeah I mean well
0: there you go see I'm I'm learning new stuff every day <laughs> but yeah I maybe that's see that's that's what I'm seeing I guess yeah. it's like this just different texture of darkness
2: and you know you have that wonderful set piece of Anakin and Padme uh trying to get out of that droid factory where they get put on the assembly line you know and it's super goofy just yeah. like each of them gets a different part of the assembly line to go through but the obstacles that they have to go through that couldn't have been accomplished with practical <laughs> that's like one of the most ridiculous set pieces ever
1: uh but i i love yeah no i like the i mean we talked a little bit on the patreon with the uh, phantom menace but i like the juxtaposition with the set pieces there with the, like the political stuff mm-hmm. because i think i mean often derided the prequels as movies for babies there is so much like intellectually going on here with like the processing of oh there's this hidden army we've discovered yeah. that we sort <laughs> of have to inscript now to use and grant wartime powers to the chancellor and on top of that just like i mean what malcolm was saying with sort of the detective story with obi-wan there's a and like relating the jedi to sort of like fascist cops in a way where I, at one point he says to Anakin that this weapon is your life referring to like the lightsaber and just how all that like unfolds there with them. Like, I don't know very, it's very similar to real police where it's like a very unrealistic expectation to have these people remove their emotions Mm -hmm. from their decision making ability. And just Anakin is like the perfect character to show how that sort of Breaks and collapses,
2: yeah, and especially the uh wartime powers being uh f- put forward at the senate by none other than representative Jar Jar <laughs> In response to this direct threat to the republic, Misa proposed that the senate give
0: immediately emergency powers to the supreme chancellor. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was a great touch And like a good response to people who Dislike Jar Jar Binks in the first one It's like yeah. Luke's just like This is a respectable guy here This yeah. guy's a stand up guy Real solid motherfucker Yeah know?
2: dude he transcended like the species hate of his home planet <laughs> And the secret underwater uh, City that he lived in And he became a representative of Naboo under Amidala and it's, uh, it's a great you know stepping across The aisle example <laughs> <laughs> Mr.
1: Binks goes to Washington <laughs>
2: that is yeah oh that, i guess that's the episode title <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna do something about like the two movies together but fuck it. that's yeah. yeah
0: in praise of star wars yeah <laughs> no that's just come on. <laughs> come on, we're better than that we are
2: Uh, Also, I I mean, if you've seen the third one, uh, you know how fucking hilariously devastating it is when Obi-Wan goes to talk to Yoda about this uh, planet that seems to be deleted from the databases and the archives and Yoda's training those younglings. And uh, if you know the fate of the younglings in episode three, it's... Honestly, I laugh every time I see <laughs> They're just having a good old time. Little do they know the events of Revenge of the Sith. Uh, but it is great where Obi's, Obi, uh, Obi-Wan's journey takes him, you know, discovering this army. And, you know, uh, it, all their plots come together as they are both... Uh, Sentenced to execution by way of crazy alien monster uh, In like a gladiator type arena And then all three main characters are together at last And also the other thread that had been cut in between Not as much as the main two though Was uh, Samuel L. Jackson of course as Mace Windu Mm -hmm. uh, And with Yoda back at like the Jedi Council base And those scenes of them talking like Yeah they're pretty expositional But I I love the way it's shot Just like those you know, uh, neon bars behind them, yeah. just like Jackson inter interacting with CG, Frank Oz <laughs> as convincingly as possible.
0: No, I, I like those scenes too. Like, you know, normally, you know, people poo poo exposition. I do too, but it's like the way it's framed, it's like just these two Jedi masters pontificating yeah. in a room about basically what's happening in the context of what's happening, I think is a good way to put it too. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, its arguably dialect uh, dialectical. Di- <laughs> diabilical. There's something there. We're on our <laughs> yeah. Jean-Luc George Lucas tip <laughs> yeah. today. So. Yeah. Exactly. I had to use that word.
2: Okay, So the, the monster fight at the end that presages the Clone Wars is like surprisingly pretty bloody. You know, you get some like human blood in this. That, that one like pincher thing that's like uh, mm-hmm. trying to pinch Obi-Wan. There's like a red spray of blood across the camera kind yeah. of. It's like very gory for Star Wars. And then, uh, you know, the battle keeps upstaging itself as more uh droids and then jedis enter and uh, you know we talked about Terrence stamp in the first one he he was ousted uh by chancellor palpatine of course and as the chancellor but in this one now we have uh count dooku uh <laughs> played by christopher lee just the fucking god yeah uh, like his presence in this is so funny and like so like powerful still Mm -hmm. with that slight humor in it too like there's a slight camp quality but it's still also pretty menacing
1: master window you have fought gallantly worthy of recognition in the archives of the jedi order now it is finished surrender and your lives will be spared we will not be hostages to be bartered, Dooku. Then, I'm sorry, old friend.
0: Mm-hmm. I think Dooku is a funny name. That was yeah. my reaction. Was oh, like, yeah. I'm always feeling like Dooku. Count Dooku. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, damn, yeah. That's literally what I said to him. I was like, damn, I'm feeling like Dooku. <laughs>
2: But uh, so at the climax of the film, after the huge ground battle, you get a lightsaber duel, kind of like the first one where you had uh, Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan against Darth Maul. Here you have uh, Anakin. And Obi-Wan against Count Dooku and they cannot withstand his finger lightning (laughs) Uh, and uh, yeah so that is I I guess that's the first chronological use of that finger lightning thing that happens in those movies sometimes which is always scary and overpowerful Mm -hmm. Uh, but then he fights CG Yoda and Dude, Yoda flipping all over the place. <laughs> that fucking, fucking twirling. Rules. I love it. It's amazing. And Christopher Lee, just like, I mean, the behind the scenes, you see how much the body double does in that. Yeah. But like his ability to act against CG Yoda flying all over the place is pretty impressive.
0: No. Yeah. To give a lot of the actors credit in this movie. it. I mean, at least to me, it seems like they're interacting with these CG actors really well. And like, I didn't, there's like maybe a couple times where I'm feeling, you know, the computer generation of it where it kind of looks like very fake or I'm just feeling it a little bit more but honestly I d- it's never something that really bothered me you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: yeah I think with I mean part of the beauty of the fakeness of it is mm-hmm. that like Lucas is able to explore all these different types of genres mm-hmm. like I think I mean True, yeah. w- a different like with the different settings we were talking about it's like you get the detective story you get like the big sort of Roman epic movie at the end it's just so mind boggling and impressive to me that he has something that works on a really complicated intellectual level about like bureaucracy's descent into fascism while also like just jumping around with in different film genres about like guys playing with laser swords.
2: (laughs) Um, So this is just a really great film. In my opinion, Uh, F the haters, Uh, you get all of that like expressionist early digital experimentation and you have that young love captured so sentimentally and ending on that wedding is one of my favorite final shots in all the Star Wars, the the best final shot of any Star Wars though is episode one with that Augie's Imperial Marvel. (laughs) Playing, you got the guy holding the orb. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this film ends beautifully, and it always takes me like aback how much people hate this. But we're not here to be those. We're not here to be well. uh, You know the the critics said this, but actually, no. It's this just on its own. It's a great film. Four Mm -hmm. bullets for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give it four bullets as well. I mean, just talking about it, you know. I I I need to watch the third one because I I, these are movies I haven't seen before. Pray for the younglings. The younglings. You do. I know. I was gonna say. It. Shout out to the younglings. But I, I was really impressed on like how entertained. Like, because like I, Phantom Menace. I kind of I, I appreciated a lot of it, and I was entertained in parts. But this movie really entertained me on like a blockbuster level, and is yeah. like doing things you'd expect blockbusters to do with advanced technology. Like you were saying, JT. Like exploring different settings getting in as much uh giving like the the universe that he's creating as much depth as he wants to he's not really uh shackled to any uh you know physical limitations and you know this is what you'd want to see with digital technology and you know but i you know i feel like movies aren't exactly doing this they might have taken like because like are you seen those ugly you know marvel movies where you know like digital landscapes they they saw lucas do it but they didn't quite get the mm-hmm. they don't quite have the stroke he does as a you know as a painter, but yeah, what do you think, JT?
1: Um, I'm also giving this one four bullets. It is a great damn movie, and I'm probably gonna watch uh, Sith uh, in the coming days uh, just to check in because yeah. I'm I'm a prequels boy now. <laughs> um, but I don't know it like in watching both of these films this week, it really took me aback by how complicated it is and like how much I missed as like a kid because it's, like, I I said on the Patreon, but it's, like, you can simplify it down to, like, Jedi's good and the Sith bad, but um, you see here happening in Anakin's descent into um, becoming Darth Vader that, like, Palpatine is just telling him, like, trust your feelings. Just, (laughs) like, all, like, generally kind of good advice, like, where it's, like, yeah, man, you should, like, kind of feel this out sort of stuff. Like, and the Jedi... Being so bent on like repressing and just trying to uh, be logical and cold, which like clearly won't work out. Um, It's such a great flick. And there's just
2: so many fun little alien guys. Mm -hmm. And our our favorite guy that we already talked about on the earlier recording Wado is back and he has a little hat now and a little more (laughs) a little more facial hair as well.
1: (laughs) He looks shaggier than ever.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, So that's going to do it on that. Um, As I load up the inbox, you can always email us at extendedclippodcast at com. Our first one is from Ryan Kelly email. He hasn't hit us up in a while. Let's...
0: He was one of the original emailers, if I remember correctly. Yeah, this guy
2: definitely has the record for the most emails read on pod, and a lot of them were quite good, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, I think the first one was a little shaky, but then he, he stepped up his game and became great, you know? This
2: one looks like he sent it to the wrong podcast. Uh, <laughs> this one is definitely like a Doughboys email. Uh, the subject is Roast Spoon Man, and uh, the, the, the content is... Have you guys tried the Wendy's breakfast yet? Anything I should get? My, nick- my nickname for Mitch is the Fast Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> From Ryan. <laughs>
0: uh, there's not a Wendy's near where I live, unfortunately. A lot of other great fast food places. But I, I would attend Wendy's more often. But unfortunately, it's like 20 minutes away. And I'm not going to. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to trek
1: like that. A roommate of mine recently went on a bad acid trip, Ooh. and he the day after uh, <laughs> I got, about that <laughs> okay. got the got the Wendy's breakfast, uh, and I think it it did him well. So I'm going to say
0: uh, it's good. I'll endorse it. I endorse Wendy's. I don't care who the owner's donating to for president.
2: I love Wendy's. I haven't tried the breakfast yet. I live near one. We've gone to it before mm-hmm. when restaurants used to be open. It was fun. It was yeah. one of our extended clip dining
0: spots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> extended <laughs> clip patio series.
2: <laughs> oh, no, we're not doing that nonsense. No. Nonsense. Um, next email is from Valerie, another uh, email Hall of Famer. Uh, subject line, cars. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. Hey, fellas. Right now, I'm drunk and watching cars pass from my balcony. And since the king himself, George Lucas, is a self-described car guy, that's the question I'm asking today. What are your favorite car scenes? What is your favorite car from TV or film? Do you prefer a car scene where the car's intact or it gets destroyed? Hopefully, this email is sent in time. LMAO. Sincerely, Valerie. You got it just under the wire. I'll tell Damn. you that much. Hmm. I mean, I have a list on Letterboxd uh, entitled Ghost Ride the Whip. Uh, that includes a lot of my favorite movie scenes with cars, but off the top of my head... I will say one of my favorite cars uh, in TV and movies is discussed on our Fairley Brothers episode: the 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 dog car from <laughs> <laughs> Dumb and Dumber, of course. Uh, but also car scenes. I mean, David Cronenberg's Crash has quite a mm-hmm. few good car scenes in it, uh, where some cars are destroyed, some are kept intact, while it's more bodily damage being done. Mm-hmm. Um, I in general I love a good car crash I mean as said in Death Proof uh, real cars smashing into real cars (laughs) and that's another automotive classic Um, let's see Getting Any by Takeshi Kitano is a film about trying to get a car so you can have car sex Uh,
1: this is like a pretty basic ass choice but a classic for me Christine I really love it like I don't know I can really fuck with that, that 50s vibe and just like the idea of, like, a young boy falling in love with his car is really funny to me. Yeah. And it makes me think there's, like, uh, in V by Thomas Pinchon, like, the main character, Benny Profane, there's, like, a, a little subplot where he's, like, he, like, walks, uh, he, like, sees from afar his, like, girlfriend, like, talking to his car and, like, that she wants to fuck it, and it's just, like, I like the, the I don't know, I feel like cars are generally the most fuckable inanimate objects i didn't mean (laughs) to lead into this point when i was starting this sentence you ever seen the caboose of a train i'm not (laughs) attracted i'm not attracted to cars or trains i feel like like something softer would be i just feel like (laughs) cars are generally what people sublimate a lot of like sexual desire into
0: i all right thinking of cars this is a stupid answer but i'm reminded reminded of hurricane heist Directed by Redacted. Don't look up who directed it. But um, there's a great vehicle in that movie. A movie that's not great, to be honest. But um, that's a vehicle that could withstand anything. It could get shot at. It could, there could be a tornado. It's going to stay in place. It's going to stay intact. And they use that car to great effect. They fuck things up with it. Um, another Like a scene I'm thinking of is from The Driver. And I think that's just coming up because it has the word drive in it. So I'm like, car movie. Yeah. Yeah, linked up. That is a great movie. Um, and there's a scene where Ryan O'Neal, the, the lead, the lead driver, the lead, uh, character in the movie, um, is being hired to, you know, drive for someone, but he's, he's insulted that he even has to try out. So he takes their car and just drives it around a parking garage, fucking it up, like intentionally crashing it into pillars. Like he's a, he's showing he could still fuck up and do a great job. And it's just, I mean, talk about real cars on real cars, real cars into real concrete. You know, I'm into that too. <laughs>
2: Uh also I want to shout out Super Van from 1977 <laughs> a film about people who trick out and paint their vans and go to van derbies where there's like a mud uh hill climbs and races and mm-hmm. also just people like Uh, It it switches from like a van exploitation thing where it's like, you know, a race and then there's this like futuristic van settling in. But there's also these two extended like party scenes that are all shot on handheld and feel more like a documentary. And they might just be documentary footage, really, uh, because it also ends on documentary footage of all of these people's custom vans, their paint jobs, uh, which are all very funny. Uh, but yeah, it's just like all these van culture people, like drinking and smoking in the '70s, and <laughs> having a good old time. And yeah. I gotta, I gotta give my highest recommendation to Super Van.
0: You mentioned Crash, and I, I had this thought like a couple days ago because you know that's about people who get into car crashes, want to have sex because of it. Very simplistic way of putting it, but um. I was thinking like I get a big rush when I almost crash into someone. Like I love that feeling and I don't do it intentionally. No, I know. (laughs) Yeah. 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 My my dad took me
2: to like some motorcycle races as a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw some moto grand prix uh, for all you Europeans out there. You might know the moto GP more than our American listeners. My dad (laughs) used to tell me like moto GP. Oh, in Europe, it's as big as like football is here. (laughs) Definitely not true. (laughs) But he took me to see a race and like there was this uh, crash and like or like we're watching footage or something like that but it it comes up one of his friends kids asks him like so do you like want to see them crash yeah my dad just like thinks about it for (laughs) like a minute and he's just like i like a good near miss
0: (laughs) (laughs) see that yeah i like a good near miss too but i was like i want to keep the sexual aspect on it i want people who like almost crash and then then fuck because on that high on that adrenaline rush, you know? Uh,
2: the beginning of Sofia Coppola's Somewhere, where Stephen mm-hmm. Dorff is just driving in circles. <laughs> uh, apparently based on her cousin, Nicolas Cage, doing that in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Southland Tales, come on. Real cars, fucking real cars. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, the, oh, the driving scene in The Birds when she approaches Bodega Bay oh, yeah. is like one of the best of all time. Uh. Yeah, that's enough. Uh. You can donate at uh, Patreon.com slash Extended Clip or at Extended Clip 69 on Twitter. I'm at iPod underscore video.
1: I'm at Bitch Palace. I'm at TallboyThinLegs. Thin Legs.
2: And uh, what are we talking about next week?
1: Um, I In the Patreon, uh, if you're curious, we talked about Phantom Menace. And uh, there's a little actor, Terrence Stamp. We've mentioned him before. Um, I I just like I don't know. I really like the presence he had, and so I'm curious which I'll prefer: pimp mode or chimp mode, <laughs> Terrence Stamp. There are two films. The A feature is the Collector by William Wyler, where I think Terrence Stamp has like a kidnapped a woman and like put her in the basement. I think. That's um, pimp mode, not like <laughs> pimp mode, not in a good way. Pimp mode in the sense of owning oh, so a now woman. you're being a swarf. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's pimp mode, and Link uh, is the follow-up to that, um, where I think he has uh, some part in some missing Link chimp that uh, will probably go crazy. Uh-huh, that sounds um, fun. I'm gonna but, go ape for that man. <laughs> that uh, launches me into my Patreon selection. Uh, because link is by Richard Franklin, and uh, we're gonna be talking about Psycho Two, the follow-up to everyone's favorite blockbuster film..
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice. That sounds very fun. I can't wait. i've been I've had Psycho two on my watch list for quite a few years now, so very excited to get into that. Uh, once again, two dollars a month. You get all that shit, baby. Just two. It's just two. Um, okay, we'll see you next week.
0: i feel like people it was just more of a, a topic of discussion like there's i was in a class like an english class and we had to do some in-class writing she would be like oh i'm gonna put on anime lo-fi really yeah, yeah. what game is this this was like two years ago in college oh in college okay (laughs) still because
2: i was gonna say because i remember the the innovation of that when i was in like i think junior senior year Mm -hmm. of high school i found some of those playlists on youtube and i was very into it hell yeah yeah, 17 year old me what kind of music i like let's see i like indie rock (laughs) i like i i think by then i was fully rejecting classic rock but still Mm -hmm. liking led zeppelin yeah yeah uh In private. But I also liked uh, you know, like more like uh, you know, underground hip hop. Yeah. No. Uh seventeen year old me saying that, just like pitchfork ass opinions about hip hop <laughs> as a seventeen year old. Um but uh yeah, I loved like Dilla and Madlib and yeah. uh, I even dipped my toes into a little bit of the new jobbies or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like that is definitely the spawn of all of that. Oh, you definitely, know, chill lo fi beats to study and be anime yeah. to.
0: That's like that's like if that I mean it's, it's like that's that's the good version of lo-fi anime beats to chill to. I just can't study
1: to lo-fi beats. <laughs> I need mean, hi-fi. Uh, yeah, no. I like I my study music would be like uh, something I mean instrumental. Yeah. Um but uh Philip Glass usually, Ooh. like the Koyaanisqatsi yeah. uh score that's really good. There's one track The Grid where it's like <laughs> do 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 do. <laughs> it's really going hard. Hell yeah! yeah. I, I I still go with the beats for
2: writing and stuff like uh, Pete rocks Pete Strumentals I like that because mm-hmm. the the tracks are longer, more like four or five minutes compared to, you know, like st- stuff like Jay Dilla. You can't study or write to
0: because it's so active and the tracks yeah. are
2: forty five seconds to ninety seconds long. You know, you can't you can't study you can't dig in
0: No, yeah, that's why I, I kind of like more like maybe like ambient or like ambient dub, like like something like Afex Twin or like yeah. Jean Jarnik or something like that you know these foreign names um but yeah that's <laughs> just talking about study music yeah uh, you guys want to start the podcast yeah yeah, yeah. we no. got a long
2: one to do we gotta do the patreon after that too
1: true yeah, yeah. exactly we've got a long night ahead of <sighs> us Fuck boys me. all
2: right guys we gotta actually start it oh yeah welcome to extended clip episode 61 i'm one of your hosts eddie averill i'm
1: malcolm Baum. i'm jt white
2: didn't say a different name that time no
0: i was tempted to say malcolm star wars fan remember, remember when you said like uh barstool malcolm that was pretty good i loved that I that was like, one of my favorite <laughs> intro bits <laughs> we love to remember the classics here at extend i might book. need to bring the barstool stuff back maybe some more barstool They're back in a big way i don't know yeah. if you've
2: heard of uh, the news about journalism <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a great interview by the way good uh good interview check it out BarstoolSports.com. I hope
2: that like one day if we have someone we really love on the podcast, that doesn't happen to us and <laughs> people are just like why didn't you ask Woody Allen about like that stuff? Like, you were <laughs> just letting him walk all over
1: you. <laughs> That's not someone we really love. I'm not gonna... <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. No, not falling into that. Hole. I got I got a
0: special type of love for the woods.
2: <laughs> what if he came on pod though? You would say you loved his films.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess I would suck dick. <laughs> yeah. I to would. be honest,
0: I don't even like. I'm not even like a Woody. You guys, you guys are are the people who are actually into Woody Allen. <laughs> Do I don't you? even really watch Woody Allen films. Okay. So you got no.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: start pointing fingers
2: all i'm gonna say is i i want to ask him, like a follow-up because i in an interview once he said that he discovered justin timberlake while he was watching <laughs> the social network on the treadmill <laughs> damn i was gonna yeah i was listening i just want to yeah. w-
0: i just want to fill out that whole scenario that whole day you know <laughs> yeah give me yeah, just give me a day-to-day no movie talk no movie talk
2: Well, that's that book that was written uh, Uh, most recently was like uh, a day, a day in the life of a production. Not even a day. It's like it follows the production of Woody. uh, (laughs) I think it's of Wonder Wheel, but it might have been the one before that. Okay, but it's just like a a start to finish movie making process of what he does every year. You know, and that one's pretty recent too. So I, I'm blindly recommending a book (laughs) who I don't know the title or
0: author of, but I know that it exists. That's about. Woody Allen, <laughs> just how he makes movies. True, the total. You know, he's he's a. I'm filmmaker. not talking
2: about the new Woody Allen book that he wrote. True, yeah. apropos of nothing. Which, what a fitting title, man. We're we're late on this one, but <laughs> <laughs> see this book that came out.
0: <laughs> you met this guy's
1: Oh yeah,
2: I'm one of your hosts. It's Jay Leno. <laughs>
0: Jay Leno, I love art house films.
2: <laughs> we were doing Street Cred, Jay Leno, in the break, and uh, well, folks. That's what you pay the big bucks for. <laughs> yeah, no, the we're not mi- even going to yeah. record that for Patreon. The off mic bits, yeah. That's DSA, what you Rodney Dangerfield. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, none of those are ever. <laughs> none of those beloved characters are ever making
0: it to Mike. True. I might. I might have to pen the DSA Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, do you want to just start yeah, the episode yeah. over? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> we did. We did talk
2: about Woody Allen for like five minutes. Welcome to Extended Clip, Episode sixty one. I'm one of
0: your hosts, Jay Leno. I'm one of your hosts, Malcolm Star Wars bomb. I'm fucking JT White. <laughs> and you're over the nonsense. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's up. just
1: get to this fucking podcast already. We We have so much ahead of us. We have to record a Patreon episode. I'm just trying to keep us on track.
0: We're fooling around for sure.
2: Do you remember their names? Maybe nothing was said. This is spoken in the beginning of In Praise of Love, and it's also said at the end and it kind of makes a perfect loop for this film you know it's a it's a film with a break uh an hour in where the time is reset and the events leading up to the first hour are portrayed and you know you get a couple lines that cue you into what godar was doing structurally if you didn't already look at the wikipedia for the film or the episode description for the podcast um but this is a film where the first hour as i said uh it Or I didn't say anything about it yet, but the first hour, uh, as I remarked, as it being one movement of the film, is uh, shot on film in black and white, shooting the streets of Paris for the first time in what, 30 years for Guitar? Like, uh, just like this free flowing, you know, almost a callback to the new wave style um but that that's just to lure you in to lay the heavy the heavy truths on you that guitar is telling in this film you know you got spielberg uh coming right at you you got hollywood as american imperialism coming at you uh, the the war crimes that are being committed across the world godard is going to cover almost all of them he, yeah. he tries to touch all the bases here in one of his most classic films
0: i loved this one mm-hmm. no i love this too and you know you remarking on uh the call outs godard is doing here and like that's that's something i always love about godard is that he's uh, willing just to just kind of not even digress cuz that's the whole part of the movies that he gets to do these things but it's like um he just has guns out for people. He you know, he he hits a target and that's a big reason why he's on the logo holding the fucking gun cuz he's he's a shooter for sure.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Goddard is going sicko mode <laughs> in this. This is like I don't know. I feel like and some of the ones uh that I like a little bit less. It's like less coherent and uh you can not like you understand where he's coming from but not like it isn't coherent to mm-hmm. anything uh, and this just like I don't know the juxtaposition of the black and white film versus the digital. It just all of it like flows together so perfectly, and like so many of what he, so many points that he's getting at are like clear and explicit, mm-hmm. and just uh, it's a beautiful film. Um one thing yes. that I noted in this flick there was a great double feature that I could see oh. at the theater the pickpocket m- the matrix my god yeah. put me at that cineplex <laughs> I know right and then doesn't it come back around later where there's
0: like a uh, a little girl at the door knocking like signing a like showing a petition to sign to uh, translate the Matrix into some sort of language.
2: Yeah, uh, the the Matrix being next to pickpocket, there, you know, make what you will of it. <laughs>
0: uh. <laughs> yeah, Wachowski Autourism wasn't as uh, strong then. Yeah.
2: Uh, but at least, like, I, th- I, you know, there were at least people uh, reading into the, the Baudrillard, you know, simulation, True. French philosophizing bullshit stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say bullshit.
2: Matrix is like a masterpiece. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, I'm joking around when I say bullshit there. But um, not to belabor our point that was made about Star Wars already being belabored uh, about how, like, people didn't get it at the time. And then there's revisionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, American critics, not really big on this. And it may have had to do. With the New York Film Festival premiere within a month of 9 11. Uh, <laughs> the anti American sentiment in this film is as strong as Godard has ever been, pretty much. Mm-hmm.
0: And it rules too. It's oh, like. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's yeah.
2: all like very pointed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm saying that, you know, there's an absence of culture mm-hmm. there and that we, you know, we take other tragedies. And then little do we know, right around the corner, a big tragedy of our own. I 9/11. mean,
1: co- coming hot off of 9 11, just like it makes it. <laughs> Uh, it makes it even more poignant because he's like talking about like uh, just that we like cr- like Americans will create images like meaninglessly and that like there's no sense of like a dialogue with mm-hmm. the past where it's just like completely divorced from that type of thing and it's all very true like I mean I, I, not to go too much into like oh the contemporary viewing of this but I don't know it just feels like, I don't know. It's as relevant as ever.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, now you know. You look at nine eleven nowadays, and most people who are like under like fifteen, they just laugh at the concept of like nine eleven. Like you know, it's it's become completely. You know, it's been reinterpreted.
2: Nine eleven these days. <laughs> <laughs> see what they're doing to it these days. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this film, you know, Edgar is the uh, protagonist, as it were, uh, and you know what you're going to get in terms of how fractured the narrative is going to be with uh, Jean-Luc Godard, our old friend. Um, but he's embarking upon some sort of narrative project that is to capture you know, these four stages of love that he maps out you know, as a grand structure of romantic arcs. And uh, he's not sure, is, that, is it an opera? Is it a film? We'll see, I mean, we're watching it, it's a film. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you get all these like beautiful, high contrast, shadowy, black and white images of Paris. Uh, a concept that's introduced early on, uh, because like most Godard, at this point, like the plot just happens around the characters. The characters, their dialogue doesn't move plot forward. Their co- dialogue is just espousing things that Godard is thinking about at the time, and you know sometimes they contradict each other. Just like he is a very contradictory, uh, I guess, intellectual figure. You know that's why a lot of smart people. Uh, end up not liking him because of how much he contradicts himself, where as a cinephile, that's what I like, baby. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he puts forward this idea of, uh, you know, that the concept of moving forward is to reject your past self. And what he wants to do is be in a strong conversation with his past self while rejecting time entirely and you know that's said in some variation a few times in this and i think stylistically it totally makes sense as the first hour calls back to what made him famous these like on the paris streets beautiful film uh, photography and then you get that immense you know last 30 minutes washing over you of consumer grade digital video oversaturated to hell the colors just like bleeding through the screen some of the most incredible digital work he's ever done and uh it's not necessarily moving forward it's just using history in the present sense Mm -hmm. uh and i think that's what so many uh, uh, that's kind of like what histoire du cinema is about in a way and what so many of his films at this point are about and uh it's kind of a hard concept to uh say i probably sounded dumb trying to express it there Mm -hmm. but i think he pulls it off wonderfully and the images are just they speak for themselves they're some of the most beautiful images of his career well i mean i think
1: godard's like sort of handling with his own legacy in the film I think broadly extends out to his critique of America I know there's one thing I think it said like a few times but there's no resistance without memory or universalism Mm -hmm. and I think that applies very much so to I, I, I don't know left resistance in America in itself where it's like the United States has never done a great job of reckoning with the terrible things that they've done in their past Mm -hmm. and it just all that stuff works really like he's speaking these clear truths that are like broadly universal but also then personal to himself it's just I I don't know it's amazing that he pulls this off
0: no I mean yeah his attention to history is very I mean he's very explicit about that I mean characters will just be at a location and then like towards the end of it it's like you know what happened over there like Caesar came in and like raided things and I think it's very important to him and it's stated so in the film that you know works of art be shaped by history and a lot of American heart Art is a historical or even intentionally ignores history to create a more uh, convenient current narrative.
2: So most of the anti-American sentiment comes out of the fact that in both movements of the film, uh, the Americans are involved as a potential financier uh, for this artistic endeavor and uh the americans the first time are yeah saying a bunch of dumb shit. it's a classic american accent too it's (laughs) like it sounds like the american guy in like 90s hong kong action i was thinking that too uh who's like oh
1: that's the boss over there (laughs) (laughs) bonsoir monsieur bonsoir monsieur
2: Uh, and it's great that he includes that because in classic gadar you know stereo splitting fashion uh this is another one, you know, crank the stereo or <laughs> even put on the cans uh, for late Godar. Uh, you have a woman, you know, speaking about the history of like war crimes uh, between like Serbians and Albanians, and the American like <laughs> telling the sent- sentimental story version of it, like a detached version of like a there was a child
1: who didn't have her mother. It's a 12 year old girl who tells me.
2: Pas un journaliste ne signala que la plupart des réfugiés.
1: Why se trouvaient précisément to dans leur foyer hospital? lorsque la guerre éclata the si l'OTAN s'en prenait à la dream <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I mean, I think, I, that's what I love about all these kind of uh, dialogue scenes when, um, you know, characters are speaking to each other because, you know, Godard likes to, you know, conflict himself and, like, during these conversations, sometimes the camera will just be on someone who's not even really involved in the conversation or it's like, you have characters always out of sync with each other, not quite, you know, always talking over
1: each other and stuff like that. And it kind of, you know, it, it just it matches what the whole film is trying to do. I mean, on top of that, like contradictions and like the removed nature of the film, it's like Godard has this way of making like works that are so detached and Like alienating in that sense, but also feel really emotional. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just like, I don't know, because it's, there's a focus on like, I don't know, singular moments and scenes because they, the narrative is so fragmented that they stand out that like, I'm always overwhelmed when there's an emotional quality to it like Mm -hmm. particularly like the the piano score really like Mm -hmm. hits hard at certain points
2: Yeah, Uh, similar to another one. I watched this week forever Mozart Uh, the use of music in both of those I mean like he knows how to be sentimental with music and the fact that he
0: withholds it so well is part is so much of his genius In terms of soundtracking his movies Mm -hmm. No, yeah, and just like how, you know, he plays with those aspects like I, this is something I remember in first name Carmen too, and I'm not as familiar with his like '90s work, but mm. like you know, it seems like a progression of this where you know he loves to, you know, um, kind of like start and stop, and it's it's or like. That's a weird way to put it, but like to like insert music at like kind of like slightly awkward times mm. and stuff like that just so you kind of notice the difference. And
2: weird places in the mix compared yeah. to
0: how usually movies are soundtracked. Exactly. And um I mean the way he messes with that in like with the new digital technology in like the last half hour segment, you know, it's how he's like uh stopping and starting the digital thing or like um you know jerking with the zooms and whatnot. Yeah. It's 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 just it's interesting to see him play with that Uh, type of nature in a new format
1: i mean in terms of like the technological parts of it there's one line that i feel like is really relevant of history is replaced by technology which feels uh, i don't know the further we go into the digital sphere it seems more and more that like overrides like any like we have the ability to sort of search into the past there but sort of choose not to and let Mm -hmm. like i don't know a digital um fuck I'm losing my train of thought here but
2: it's okay because according to this movie in order to think about something you have to think about something else as well and this is said multiple times and at first it seems like a uh, classic Godardian platitude but then uh, it Really comes into motion when it like, or motion, it, it comes to life when you see uh, that like digital double exposure shot of a man's head and like the ocean when it's said the second time. And uh, it's something he actually brought up in an earlier film in the 90s, JLG, JLG Self Portrait in December, where he talks about how. A landscape that's new to him is only new to him because he's also thinking about an older landscape that he's comparing it to. And again, you know, di- Jean Luc dialectics Godard right there. <laughs> uh, you know, it, I think his. Use of like that thought uh, and I love how he's just repeating these thoughts that he has about cinema throughout his career, you know, uh, and taking on whole new meetings because of the scenarios he's inserting them into and the images that he's putting underneath that voiceover uh, is endlessly fascinating. And then here it's under. Yeah, that super saturated digital where sometimes you'll cut to a still frame that's so blown out and affected that you think it's a low quality version of a painting because in digital uh, in this last half hour, he's also slightly in essay mode where he Mm -hmm. will cut to a painting, you know, and overlay someone's face onto it. Like he does in his nineties essay films, like Histoire du cinema and, you know, two times 50 and uh, the kids play Russian and such films like that. Uh, of course, you know all these films always building up to the next ones in that way, and I feel like it's just such a summation of his work, and at the same time, such a moving film, uh, especially in that last half hour. It's just I don't know, one of the best movies. No, yeah,
0: and I think I think you saying it's like a good uh, amalgamation of his work. Like I think you were saying, like there's enough like you were getting at JT that there's enough like narrative thread for someone to hold on to if they're not if they're less willing to go along with the godard's uh, antics but you know those are some great antics mm-hmm. and but you know he's you're still getting kind of um kind of like the dialectical you know conflict that he's known for and then you're getting some new digital you know late godard you know film socialism goodbye the language type stuff so you, this is the for your buck this is the best godard to purchase <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, you really do get like I mean, with yeah. the the contrast of like old and new, it's mm-hmm. the most Godard for your for your value. Mm-hmm. This is a, a real good discount.
0: We're sounding like the Americans uh, and <laughs> <laughs> buying uh, the Holocaust drama from the grandparents. Yeah.
1: Also, uh,
2: I mean, we talked about uh, the use of the pickpocket poster earlier, but uh, our our old friend Brisson gets a second shout out yeah. when his book Notes on the <laughs> Cinematograph is read from. Just like one of the great film nerd dumbass moments in a movie is someone yeah. reading from that book I, I loved it i had an ear to ear grin
0: no yeah i definitely i definitely let out a big whoop when that happened <laughs> yeah.
2: so we went pretty long on the whole uh
0: i'm giving this one five bullets though i'm gonna give it four and a half bullets it's really great um i was really blown away by it and i think you're right jt where he he gets to be detached and emotional and maybe it's just his strength and image making that allows him to get away with this but i think he's also getting at something kind of with like a, a detachment in general kind of like i don't know it's funny that he's interviewing all these people about like love and stuff like that and none of the none of the results seem to be you know chipper but um I really like this one a lot. How do you feel about it?
1: Uh, I'm going to give you this uh, five bullets as well. I love this. It's just like I don't know. I I have not been afraid to say on this podcast that I am a dumb guy. Yeah. And uh, when going to Godard films each time, it feels like I don't know. There's a he's presenting a lot of information there. Yeah. But with like, just the rapid-fire images and ideas that Goddard is presenting, there's a lot of stuff that you can individually parse out where mm-hmm. it's just like, I don't know, if you're chasing every reference or, like, trying to figure out everything in a, a Goddard film, you're going to drive yourself fucking mad. But, like, on the whole, he expresses a lot of, like, Uh, fantastic thoughts and ideas through like juxtaposition Mm -hmm. and just like even the the Godardian platitudes that I feel like I would just be pissed off by other filmmakers doing like when Godard has a character saying something about uh you're confusing existence with life. It's just like I'll that will like hit me and I'll be like, damn, dude. Like you you, you went there, Godard. And... <laughs> well, what
2: about the line, like uh my grandfather said he did not leave the communist party because of women, but because of persons
1: of sex <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like that shit is like Godard like can be like fucking funny too. Yeah. Like no, he's that's... one of the funniest filmmakers. And like not afraid to like go like pretty lowbrow. Like not in this, but like there's like yeah. <laughs> Farden and shitting and yeah. so um, oh, i
2: watched uh forever mozart earlier this week and yeah there's a lot of very low blows in that movie and a lot of jokes about like uh you know whether or not the movie has enough knockers even this one talks about yeah. like how every movie has to have boobs which is funny because that goes back to contempt where there's the scene of bridget bardot just naked like asking if uh the lead actor likes her ass legs like listing off all the mm-hmm. parts you know and which was like a studio mandated thing like you know this film needs more more sex appeal you got bridget (laughs) Bardot. she's not even naked you know (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: no yeah like you know so many callbacks and references you know godard makes especially in these post new wave films it's like that's that's in you know made me invent a challenge the godard challenge it's like (laughs) get everything he says in a movie post post 1969
2: yeah you gotta catch them all um yeah there are just so many images that are just like overwhelming that mm-hmm. are just like you kind of just have to see them for yourself yeah especially in that last 30 minutes you know oh yeah uh the the double exposures or i guess they're not even technically double exposure because it's digital the overlays oh, uh, are yeah. just absolutely phenomenal. and um, yeah that's about it i guess uh we'll be right back to talk about uh attack of the clones